welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Hello, Dr. Jane. Hello, Anna. How are you today? I'm doing good. It's great to see you. You as well. We talked last time about how we might prepare ourselves as we seek to live more consistently from our best and highest selves, how habitual thoughts and behaviors distract us, and how our current emotional situations can derail us from how awareness and self-regulation can help us get back on track and stay on a healthy track to make conscious choices. That's right, Anna. You know, we also introduced um, this lovely fundamental practice called the welcoming breath practice, which guides us really into, into quieting and centering ourselves so we're able to access the awareness of the moment that we're in, moment by moment. When we have the capacity to step off that runaway train that I've talked about, you know, the runaway tra- train of the mind, you know, we strengthen our ability to deliberately pay attention to a specific target. You know, very often we refer to this as concentration, you know, because we're very intentionally focusing our attention on the breath. The breath is the point of concentration. Yes. And the target is the in-breath and the out-breath. And the thoughts keep wanting to distract us, as you well know. And you and I experience that all the time. And the breath is always present to focus on if you choose to, correct? That's right. That's right. Hopefully our listeners had an opportunity to practice throughout the week because we want to build on it. You know, having, a, uh, having an alternative focal point other than the thoughts and the feelings marks the beginning of conscious choice. This is when we're really begin to, you know, in our awareness, in the moment, recognize opportunities to choose, to choose differently, something other than our conditioned habits. Well, I know I personally love these practices and this week was, it was really, really helpful to me. I really believe that this is when life can truly get on a positive track. That's right. That's right. These awareness practices really um, allow us to lay a foundation for us to begin to investigate why this exploration into our best selves is important, along with inquiring into, you know, what might a person be like who operates from this sacred part of themselves 75 to 95% of the time. You know, this, this begins to reveal our beliefs, you know, really what is the underpinning, you know, we've called it the, the backstory, you know, what I admire, what I scorn. This is related to the conditioning uh, that we've been through, the history that we come from. These are the constructs in our thinking that are not always obvious, you know, yet with awareness, we can tease them out bit by bit, and we can begin to understand and recognize what stands in the way of living from that best version of ourselves. You know, we're beginning to construct how that best part of us would be living differently from our current daily routine. You know, what do we tell ourselves? You know, what do we think is impossible? Do we have intentions, but we don't follow through? You know, are we discouraged by previous failed attempts of making changes? You know, clearly, Anna, we're seeking to clarify what we want and why we think or feel we can't or don't have it. You know, you know, the, the question is for me, you know, are we talking about saints and angelic presences? You know, and if so, I personally need to throw in the towel. That's not where we're going. Angels and saints. Oh, my, Dr. J. <laughs> I'll be tossing my towel in with yours. You know, you were clear that we're not talking about perfectionism or rigid expectations. Um, you talked about small increments of change and 
used the term continuous improvement, which I love. I do as well. Yes, we're more likely to be consistent if we're operating in smallish, doable adjustments and modifications. I often refer to these as believable and achievable shifts. You know, the classic culture of change, you know, in our society usually begins with um, an identified problem and a way to rectify the problem is always conquest. Think of any problem, whether it be weight or addictions or physical health issues, compliance with treatment, just about anything that, that we can think of. You know, once the problem is identified, we create a goal to resolve the problem and we set our sights on achieving freedom from the problem. So it boils down to a plan that includes goals, objectives, also prizes and rewards. You know, we like those bells and whistles and rah-rahs along the way to keep us motivated. You know, these goodies, <laughs> these goodies are, are really set up because I, and this is just my, my own personal opinion, because I really can't trust myself to maintain the internal motivation, you know, without pats on the head. So the change process has become big business, you know, for a multitude of companies. And this general process can be inflated with lots of hype and lots of promises. Well, Dr. Jane, this sounds very familiar to me. <laughs> and I think I've jumped on board any number of times throughout my life. Oh, I have as well, Anna. And the programs often work for a while. The crazy part is that most folks who undertake the change process don't maintain it. You know, statistics continue to show it. You know, we learn new things, change our external world. But after a while, we resort to the old way of doing things. You know, my, my old conditioning and habits are always there. All of ours are, really. You know, just below the surface. You know, and falling off the program doesn't necessarily happen all at once. The key is that often we haven't taken the time to inquire how we develop the problem in the first place. You know, and, and the other piece that is so interesting to me is how, how have we made it somehow um, – Put it together so it works for us. You know, it, it's it's hard then to sometimes, you know, if we're if it's working for us to really see it clearly, you know, or to ask myself, you know, um, how am I responsible for it? You know, because we have to take full responsibility. You know, how we've justified or ignore the problem so long that it's become a habit or it's become a lifestyle. You know, we kind of think of it as who we are. You know, and this isn't meant to throw anybody under the bus, you, me, or anybody else. Um, it really is to, to, you know, allow us an honest appraisal to look at how pervasive this kind of detachment is from ourselves and how it plays out in such destructive ways. So leave the inner critic out of it, okay? We just want to see the truth of it. You know, I find this so interesting, Dr. Jane. So we begin to lay a foundation of training ourselves to step out of the thought stream first by focusing on our breath and building upon the skill, correct? That's right. That's right. This is where we begin to experience that observer self. We become keenly aware of our thoughts without being attached to them, without being pulled into the drama of them. And this allows us to begin to recognize that our thoughts are not fact. They're merely mental events kind of passing through the thought stream of our mind. And it's these thoughts that just kind of run wild with us. We refer to these as our autopilot thinking. You know, we want to be able to step back and see what's triggering our thoughts and our feelings, you know, and how it leads to our behavior. And the observer self part of our consciousness is that neutral position 
that informs us without criticism, without judgment. You know, and what, what's so curious is it sounds so very different, you know, when it, when it shows up in our consciousness. So it sounds more like, mine would sound like, Jane, you're doing that thing again. That thing that you said you wanted to avoid. Mm, are you sure you want to continue? Or maybe it would say, well, isn't this interesting, Jane? Mm, I think this line of thinking is what had you bent out of shape before. Hmm, how about that? So this neutral appraisal of what's happening provides the space to choose again because I'm not reacting. I have the chance to choose differently. And this time it's a conscious choice because I do it awake and deliberately. So we start this process by focusing our attention on the breath. We rest on the breath. And then on the sensations of the body, strengthening our ability along the way to concentrate our attention where it can be most, most useful and not on that train, okay? We're focused in present time. What's happening right now? Yeah, this is so great. You know, letting go of the past and not projecting into the future by learning how to step back from our autopilot thinking. And this builds the skills that we need to eventually turn toward them and see them for what they are. I, I think this is so awesome. Yes. This is the path in establishing mindful awareness. Well, it also suggests, you know, I was sitting here thinking while you were talking there, it also suggests that we begin to consider consistent daily routines with emphasis on self-care, with joy, and fun in the formula. Yes. Yes. We barely mentioned that just kind of very, very briefly last time. And so these regular routines have the potential to really become skill sets, patterns of behavior that nourish, you know, support uh, the continuous improvement process. And this ongoing improvement is only sustainable if we develop awareness skills. You know, we're training the unruly mind to pay attention to what's important to us so that we can follow through with our intentions, keep our promises, and we're making conscious choices, choices born from the mindful awareness, which enhance our lives, our sense of purpose and meaning. And so we need to have regular routines of practice. Yeah, so, uh, so our formula is very straightforward. Mindfulness awareness skills applied to what we seek leads us to the best version out of ourselves. Yes. Showing up in the moment, realizing the space between the stimulus and the response we spoke of. Thank you, Viktor Frankl. That's, that's where it starts. Then focusing on self-regulation using applied mindfulness. Yes. The self-regulation, you know, is beginning, well, really beginning with um, owning my reactivity, my negativity, my resistances. And then with mindful awareness, learning that I'm able to dissipate the negative reactivity, discover what's fueling it, and make a different choice. So then we need to maintain. So that, you know, so we have to think about consistency there. Yes. This is, this is where we, we allow the routines to work for us. You know, I'm cultivating a sense of self-mastery. My intentions are reality. And it's about continuing it to do it again and again and again. 
Yeah. And then so that finally leads us to self-care. Yes. Finally and foremost, self-care. This is meant to be a sacred practice. You know, it supports all of our actions and it's essential that we include some fun in there, some joy, creativity. You know, these are important on a regular basis. So my hunch is that these four need to be part of our daily routine. That's exactly right. Self-regulation, the consistency, the self-care, the mindful awareness. Yes, we utilize these skills to build competence and confidence. And this enables us to, to really acknowledge the resistances as they come up, see what they are, and plan accordingly. Yes, Dr. Jane, otherwise we sabotage our best intentions. Life can always throw us a curveball. Well, yes, it can. You know, and, and most resistances originate within us, not outside of us, but very often we don't see that. You know, and everything has to do with our thoughts, our moods, our emotional states. Bottom line. Well, this is big. You know, I mean, it's, it's there all the time, our emotions, positive, negative, whatever they may be at the time, you know, always present in some way. Can you share a little bit more about this? Sure, Anna. You know, let's, let's take a look at the fact that emotions are a centerpiece in life. And emotions include our thoughts, our feelings, our body sensations, our impulses. These are the dimensions that really make up emotions across the board. And any combination of the four can take us down the rabbit hole and keep us from operating um, in that best, highest version of ourselves. You know, or on the other hand, if any of these, the thoughts, feelings, the body sensations or impulses are positive, they buoy us up, they vitalize us. You know, it's like I can conquer anything. So these four all are interrelated. And here's a quick example of how it works. So maybe I start with a negative thought. That starts the process for me. And then the body reacts to the thought because the body believes everything I think, good, bad, or indifferent. So our adrenaline starts to pump. And here comes the tension. Here comes the restlessness. This triggers a slew of feelings, agitation, anger, shame, you know, the initial reactivity may be about some current situation, but within moments, you know, our memory apparatus comes into play. The hippocampus in the midbrain, you know, throws up some other memories with thoughts and feelings similar to what I'm currently going through. And the feelings experienced in the previous situations could be, you know, as far back as maybe when we were seven years old. You know, it could have something to do with some some memory of some disappointing uh, tragic event and let's face it for a 7 year old there's a lot of there's a lot of tragic events that could occur you know and this fuels the emotional flare up so we experience heightened emotional reactivity and this causes all of a sudden i'm noticing that i have a headache or a, a stomach ache you know and our impulsivity might include something oh it could be any form of of interpersonal expression or an emotional attack or self-sabotage or some kind of a self-destructive or addictive behavior, you know, and all of this happens in a matter of seconds. Yes. It's incredible how the negativity plays out at the speed of light sometimes. That's right, Anna. And that's why we often miss the opportunity to catch it in time to self-regulate. I often refer to the thought stream 
you know, the mind as a runaway train, a train that runs 24-7. We can't stop the train. But we can, if we're paying attention, acknowledge what's happening and choose to step off the train. The thoughts keep moving a mile a minute, but we're no longer dragged down the track with them. You know, and here's the bonus. By not being on the train, you know, we can begin to realize that thoughts are not facts. They're just continuous flows of mental events. This is the autopilot thinking. I never tire of hearing this. You know, it's such a good reminder that if I'm not tuned in to what's happening within me, well, I forfeit control of something that is within my control, which is my relationship with my thinking and feelings. Well, that pretty much sizes it up, Anna. You know, and, it, and it's good to keep in mind, no pun intended, you know, that this cycle works the same no matter which of the four dimension, dimensions um, initiated. You know, it can start with thoughts, it can start with feelings or body sensations or impulses. And as we move forward, we'll introduce practices for each of these four dimensions to highlight really how they show up spontaneously and how we can practice and avoid fueling them, you know, in in negative ways. Dr. Jane, let's look more closely at the sequence that you just shared. Sure, Anna. You know, my example started with a spontaneous thought. It can just as easily begin with a spontaneous feeling or body sensation, you know, recall a time when you were experiencing a mood triggered by sadness or disappointment, or maybe even, a, you know, could be an embarrassing moment. Um, so you're, you're having this show up and notice how your mood can be triggered. You know, during that time, um, it can be of from the, um, the sadness or, or what just happened to you, or your mood could also be triggered by a headache or a lack of sleep, or acid indigestion, you know, inevitably, we're triggered into a negative thought process. You know, it can happen from the emotional, from the um, feelings part, or it can happen from the, the physical part. But we're triggered. And what happens next? Negative thoughts very often arise. Our inner critic then may show up, and I don't know about you, Anna, but mine is ruthless in these situations. Oh, yes. <laughs> and if my stomach wasn't upset before, it's going to start to be upset. And our impulse is sometimes to admit defeat, defeat for the day, or it's like, I'm done, or look for a method of escape, or maybe we have an ugly outburst. You know, I'm not beyond that. Um, and maybe I'm going to medicate myself later on with justifications for the behavior, you know, that I displayed. Or maybe we're going to medicate ourselves. You know, maybe it's going to be with alcohol, or I could medicate by binging on food, or going to bed, or burying myself in in work, or the internet. Oh, I think some of these sound so familiar to so many of us, Dr. Jane. It's so true. Um, And the good news is, though, that this misery can be averted. Well, that's right. Simply by learning to access our innate ability to be aware, we can become skillful you know, I can, I can become skillful with focusing my attention at will. This is the skill set that we're looking to develop. And, and we're, not, we're not ruled by the autopilot thinking, you know, which is a hair trigger. We can begin to identify the potential culprits, you know, that want to drag us down. 
and really want to do, you know, damage, we're able to identify it early in the game. The key is to begin with learning awareness and mindfulness. You know, these skills initially involve concentration, the skill of focusing, holding our attention rather than allowing the mind to to wander, that thought stream to go off track. You know, this, this is really the best approach because it begins with set times to strengthen our ability to focus our attention on something other than the thoughts. Well, while that never ending flow of continuous thoughts does its own thing, we don't stop the thinking. Okay. The best focus of concentration is the breath. It's always with us. It's a moving target. You know, each breath can only be experienced in the moment. This is one of the things I find so lovely about it. And we begin this practice as we did last time with the welcoming breath. You know, it's really cool how this works. Uh, one breath at a time, one moment at a time. Yes, that's the really, that's what I find the beauty of it. You know, in the first practice, we begin the concentration skill building. And now we want to continue and expand the practice. So initially, all the focus was on the breath. So we're looking to expand it. And we want to keep in mind that the practice is to have that point of concentration, wherever we direct it. We feel our attention being pulled away from the thoughts, or pulled I should say pulled away by the thoughts, the comments, the criticism, all that's going on in, in our heads. You know, the to-do lists, whatever it happens to be. We notice this, but we always return to our point of concentration again and again. So we're moving from the quieting practices and beginning a series of concentration practices. So what's the next building block? Well, this next building block is a practice that's often referred to as breath and body. It's a breath and body practice because we begin with a focused breathing that we've done with a welcoming breath and we expand it to include any contact, physical contact we're experiencing in the moment. These are our superficial sensations of the body. Maybe it's in contact with clothing or the chair we're seated in, our feet touching the floor. The floor. You know, so let's just begin just for a moment, starting with our breath, just letting ourselves sense into the in-breath and the out-breath. And we're going to do a very quick version of this. But once we've settled into the breath, then we're looking experience the sensation of contact, that I can feel myself seated in the chair that I'm sitting in. I can sense into the bottoms of my feet resting on the floor. I might even be able to sense into contact with shoes that I might be wearing or socks. Just notice what's happening for you. Now notice where our arms are resting, limb on limb. Noticing if you can feel the sensations of clothing against the surface of your skin. Or your tongue lying in your mouth. Again, it's about contact 
You're wearing glasses. Can you feel the glasses resting on the bridge of your nose? So it's taking a few moments, settling into the breath, and then just moving around the body to see what contact you're able to notice as you breathe. The mind is going to wander, and we acknowledge that, and then we bring it back to the breath and noticing the contact. So I suggest that that we all continue to do the um, breath and body practice you know, several times during the week, you know, five out of seven days is a good number. It's also um, suggested that you might want to continue to do that, the relaxation response, merely because that's such a wonderful fighting practice. So feel free to do that on a daily basis and then begin to add some of these awareness practices as we go along. I absolutely love these practices. Just that little bit of time we just spent on that. I feel so relaxed. And Dr. Jane, is there a question we might want to ponder? Well, I think it would be lovely if in the quieting moments after the relaxation response or the breath and body practice, that we ask ourselves, how do I experience my desire to be the best version of myself? How does that come up for me? You know, Notice whether or not it's experienced in a heart-centered way or if the desire comes from some judgment or criticism or maybe it's from someone else's judgment or criticism. Hmm. Ask and you shall receive, huh, Dr. Jane? <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice list. Yeah, well, that's a very nice list of questions to ponder. I'm looking forward to this week's practices so very much. Thank you, Dr. Jane.